Support for OPB comes from our members and from our sponsors, like Mike Rosenberg from Columbia Credit Union. Mike says they trust what they see and hear on OPB, and that aligns with Columbia Credit Union's brand. This is Think Out Loud on OPB. I'm Dave Miller. After a relatively mild summer compared to blistering temperatures across the world, the Northwest is finally in the grips of its own heat wave. Daily records fell across the Willamette Valley yesterday when it hit 103 in Eugene, 108 in Portland, and 110 in Troutdale. Dangerous heat continues today with a real cool down not projected until the end of the week. In a few minutes, we're going to hear how state emergency managers are responding to this heat and to wildfires. But we start today with Portland General Electric, which is working to keep electricity on despite high demand. Larry Beckadall is the Senior Vice President of Advanced Energy Delivery for PGE. He joins us now. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Dave. So there are two, I guess, the most likely extreme weather scenarios right now in which people would lose power. One is that there is so much draw that it overloads the system. What does total energy use look like right now? Well, as of uh, yesterday, and as you mentioned, um, 110 degrees uh, temperatures kind of harkens back to two summers ago when we had the uh, heat wave come through at 116 degrees. And... um, when we did reach our all-time system peak of, of 4,441 megawatts. And similarly, yesterday, we were at 4,436 megawatts. So we were just five five megawatts short of that peak in 2021. So running very, very close to what we had during that heat uh, bubble two years ago. And what's driving that increase in energy use? What's the connection between heat and electricity draw? Well, I, first, I would, I would call attention that um, in 2021, we had a lot of homes uh, without air conditioning. And uh, I think uh, everybody learned from that circumstance and saying uh, no longer are, are temperatures in, in Portland uh, cool during the summer, the entire summer. So um, we've seen a lot of air conditioners go into homes or heat pumps going into homes um, so that uh, um, there's comfort and coolness in the summertime during these extremes. And so last summer, uh, even though uh, it was only 95 degrees, uh, we were you know, getting closer to our peaks again for summer. So we saw a real step up in uh, the amount of load. I would say also uh, we've had industrial growth here in the Portland area. We're fortunate to have that with our chip manufacturing, um, data centers. And, uh, you know, as we look towards the future, um, you know, electric vehicles also uh, come into play. So all of those, uh, you know, contribute to increases in, in what you're describing as the load here. Would the broader adoption of heat pumps make a difference? I mean, heat pumps, my understanding is they are significantly more efficient than air conditioners at providing colder air. There is, absolutely. And and again, many homes didn't have air conditioning at all. And so they switched to things like the window units. And if you can go to a heat pump, uh, they are much more efficient than uh, um, those smaller uh, air type window units. So uh, ultimately, yes, love to see that efficiency uh, in the system. So if I heard you correctly, uh, so two years ago uh, for the heat dome event, it was a record in terms of of 
electricity usage that you saw. But just last night, we were very close to that record within just a couple megawatts. Um, what are you doing right now in response? I mean, how are you managing that super high usage? Um, well, first, we uh, you know try and think as we plan our system and how we operate our system. Um, there's been a real shift in where generation is coming from. And so we've seen a lot of solar coming from California. Uh, we have a lot of wind that comes from the east. But unfortunately, when we have these high uh, heat days, uh, like we're experiencing, it tends to be a high heat heat um, uh, pressure area. And so there's not a lot of wind um, in the in the gorge, the Hood River and beyond, where uh, much of the wind uh, uh, production is. <clears throat> so trying to manage where the generation is coming from. We're here in August. There's not as much uh, hydro facilities uh, available um, this time of year. So you are trying to leverage, um, you know, generation from uh, as far away as Montana or Canada or down in California, as I mentioned. So uh, we're, we're working with um, the uh, operator, the, uh, the regional coordinator from for the West, which runs from Mexico to Canada. And, uh, you know, all of us as utilities working together very closely, uh, especially Bonneville Power and ourselves uh, here in the local area. What can Oregonians do or people in Southwest Washington do to help avoid an outage? Well, given the uh, the strains, you know, this high temperature, equipment can't cool as well. Uh, what we would ask is, um, you know, be conscientious of your usage uh, during the hours, especially of four o'clock to eight o'clock when the uh, peak normally takes place. Um, you'd ask that if you know, you're know you running your air conditioner, for instance, at 70 degrees, if you can run it at 72 degrees, uh, probably won't notice it a whole lot. But you know, if everybody does that, it makes a really big difference on the system. And uh, we call that a demand response type program. And yesterday uh, we enacted that. We do have a uh, specific uh, program. And at five o'clock yesterday, we had 90 megawatts of that demand response take effect. And that was a huge benefit uh, to the system. Uh, a lot of, well, those are all customers that sign up with our program. If anybody's interested, please go to our website and um, yeah, you'll see our uh, programs for uh, our demand response, our energy partners, and uh, feel free to sign up and, and be a part of it and help out. So things like your air conditioner, maybe uh, choosing not to run your dishwasher, your dryers, um, or even charging your vehicles during that period of time from 4 to 8 p.m. today. Hmm. So we, we've been talking about basically an overload in the system leading to a, a, a brownout or some kind of power shutoff. But another scenario is a proactive shutoff because of extreme wildfire danger. How do you assess when that needs to happen? Well, this is uh, fairly new for all of us uh, here in the Northwest. Uh, we started those plans about 2018 and uh, been evolving here and learning from um, many of uh, utilities uh, internationally, Australia and California uh, primarily. But we look at the fuel, uh, you know, that is along uh, corridors where we have uh, power lines and the types of construction that we have there, if it's underground, if it's overhead, is it bare conductor? Um, and then we consider with that fuel and fuel meaning vegetation of all types and, and trees, then uh, 
we consider the temperature, we consider the humidity, um, and then primarily at this point, it's it becomes wind. And uh, if the conditions are right and uh, there is a threat there, um, then we have areas which we refer to as high fire risk zones. Um, and they tend to be where the red flag zones are as well. And as I speak to that today, I know the uh, foothills, Mount Hood, um, and along the foothills of the Cascades, uh, those are the high high risk areas this uh, today. Uh, but if we had the winds in that area, um, we would proactively shut off the power. And uh, um, that is our last resort, but it, it's also become a real tool to make sure that we take an abundance of caution with regard to customers and customer safety. We wanna make sure that our customers are safe and, um, and that we're not putting their homes at risk. When you look at the projections right now in terms of weather in the coming days, what's the likelihood that you will have to do that kind of proactive safety shutoff? During during this heat spell, what we're seeing right now, again, with no wind, um, is that we will not have to enforce any um, shutoffs, but certainly can change quickly. We try to give at least 48 hours notice um, to customers. And but what we see right now is uh, uh, no uh, public safety power shutoffs uh, in the next couple of days. Larry Beckadall, thank you. Thank you, Dave. Larry Beckadall is a senior vice president of advanced energy delivery for PGE. We're talking right now about record heat throughout Oregon. I'm joined now by Matt Marhein. He is a deputy director of the Oregon Department of Emergency Management. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Dave. You know, sticking with this question of public safety power shutoffs for a second, in the past we've talked about emergency kits that people should have in anticipation of things like the the Cascadia subduction zone earthquake. What about a case of a public safety power shutoff? What should Oregonians be thinking about for that eventuality? Well, that's a great question, Dave. Uh, as we work with our local communities who are really working with their individuals and community partners, what is best for the hazard profile for their areas? So power shutoffs, um, most certainly, regardless of what the cause was, whether it be flooding or fires or uh, preemptive case to deal with the public safety power product, uh, shutoff structures, the issues are really what do those community members need to most certainly sustain life and make themselves as comfortable and capable as possible. So we have our at least two weeks ready program, which talks about how to store uh, food and water, regardless of power usages or outages. Uh, having water and food is important. Having uh, uh, medications and uh, access of cash on hand and all those things that a family might need, food for their dogs, water for their animals. Those are the kinds of things that power or not, and regardless of the cause, uh, are things that will help maintain that level, uh, most certainly to save that life, as well as provide a certain amount of comfort. We have a couple things going on right now, which I guess is no longer unusual for you at, at your emergency office. I'm thinking about uh, extreme heat in a lot of parts of Oregon, a lot of parts of the Northwest, and some significant fires in uh, east of Eugene, in southern Oregon. What's your biggest concern right now? Yeah, this is uh, an issue of prioritization. So it's a great it's a great point. Uh, emergencies and the hazard profile of Oregon, um, we have those things that we see every year. But then we see the expansion or the significantly more impactful events occurring on a more regular basis, like heat, as you were talking uh, with the gentleman from PGE earlier. Um, we're seeing these impacts impact the population, and most certainly those drains on that critical infrastructure are challenges. 
means that we work with our communities, and that's an example of what we do. We work with all of our local communities to make sure that they're preparing for the hazards that impact their areas and that their education and support structures to avoid and or mitigate the problem, but also to respond if those things occur. So our biggest concern today is the is the hazard that's impacting most lives in the state of Oregon. And today that's heat. Um, we do have isolated fires happening throughout the communities and some communities on evacuation notices, but clearly the heat challenge and the challenge of lack of resources or air conditioning or to maintain that environmental comfort potentially brings that issue of folks who do not have those resources and may need those support structures to to just maintain that life functionality. And we're working very closely with our county, tribes, and local communities to ensure things like uh, sheltering structures for cooling, water resources, and just medical support and information is readily available. What fires in Oregon are top of mind right now? Well, right now we have several fires that are happening in Marion County and the Lane County area. Uh, today we have uh, Bedrock Fire, the Salmon Fire and Lookout Fire, which are all in Lane County. And then we have the Wiley Fire in Marion County. And all of these fires right now have evacuation notices. And again, for everyone's benefit, evacuations are level one, two, three. And the perspective is one, be ready, two, be set, three, go. And this is very important campaign that we provide a lot of information so that people know what to do um, when their public officials announce an evacuation notice and that they can take action to protect themselves and their family. How can Oregonians know if they are signed up for emergency alerts, if they're actually going to get pings or alarms on their phones if, you know, when those alarms are sent out? Yeah, David, that's a great question. And and one that I'll start off with uh, giving everyone a web address. So oralert.gov, O-R-A-L-E-R-T.gov, extremely important website in the state of Oregon. You can go to that website and put in your, you select a county, put in your zip code, and you can register for your local community's uh, alerts by going to that web page. Um, it is critical that people understand that alerts don't always come out um, in a way that they're convenient. They come out in a way to tell you that there's critical information for you to take action and to be aware. And sometimes we've heard that folks get those alerts and they think, oh, I don't want to get these anymore. And they turn those off on their phone. So again, our huge push from this organization is remind people that uh, to get the alerts, you must have it turned on in your phone. And to verify that you're getting your alerts, you can go to oralert.gov and make sure that you're signed up or provide your information to get information from your local community. Matt Marhein, thanks very much for your time. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you, Dave. Matt Marhein is the Deputy Director of Oregon's Department of Emergency Management. So much of what we talk about on this show has to do with what's happening right now. But there's a lot of history behind these conversations. OPB's Salmon Wars podcast will give you insights into some of that history. It tells the story of one Yakima Nation family that's been fighting for salmon in the Columbia River across generations. Find Salmon Wars wherever you listen to podcasts.